0: from isaiah chapter 36 verse 1 to 18 and that could be found on page 719 in the church bibles isaiah chapter 36 verse 1 in the 14th year of king hezekiah's reign sennacherib king of assyria attacked all the fortified cities of judah and captured them then the king of assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to him. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. And what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say that you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leads on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. And if you say to me, We are depending on the Lord, our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, You must worship before this altar? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials?' even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Johar said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. But the commander replied, Was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine? Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deceive you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own. A land of corn and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, The Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? The second reading is taken from chapter 37, 14 to 17, and then 30 to 32. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. This will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that. But in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit above. Once more a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit, for out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And the third and final reading, chapter 38, verse 1 to 8. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, Put your house in order Because you are going to die, you will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord Remember, O Lord, I have walked before you faithfully, and with wholehearted devotion have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. I'll make the shadow cast by the sun, go back the ten steps. It has gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So the sunlight went back the ten steps. It had gone down. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Now sometimes in our sermon series, as the other evening on All Aboard Sunday, we looked at just a few verses. Uh, It was the seven marks of a growing church. Uh, from Acts. Uh, But tonight we're looking at four chapters and uh, so in order to avoid travel sickness I'd ask you to have your Bibles open because I'm going to make references to some of the verses but not read them out. Uh, It's a very rich passage and it really is about the life of one man with enormous crisis on his hands and what he does about it. Page 719, 719. If I were to ask you uh, tonight on what are you depending, I wonder what you'd reply. And if I asked what were your expectations as a Christian, as one of God's people, what would you say? Tonight, having spent some weeks looking at Isaiah's prophecies, we come to a historical interlude in chapters 36 to 39. We read in 36 and 37 how God delivers Jerusalem and its king Hezekiah from the besieging Assyrian army under King Sennacherib and his field commander. Chapters 38 and 39, the chronology is in fact reversed as these two chapters deal with events in Hezekiah's life before Jerusalem was besieged, that is before 701 BC. And although these events happened nearly 3,000 years ago, I believe that there's much for us to learn and to take to heart. It's the story of a good king, but a flawed king, Hezekiah. And it's the story of the sovereign God who is majestic in power and is also full of mercy. What are the lessons for us? Here's the first one. As God's people, we will always face opposition. As God's people, we will always face opposition. In Hezekiah's case, it comes obviously from Sennacherib and through his field commander. It begins with a propaganda attempt to shake Hezekiah's confidence in the living God. Verse 4 of chapter 36, On what are you basing this confidence of yours? Bear in mind there's an army. It's a rather important question. Then he seeks to shake the people's confidence in Hezekiah's leadership Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. Sennacherib's field commander is very blunt with the officials sent out from Jerusalem to meet him. Verse 5, you say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? And he contemptuously dismisses the possibility of rescue by Egypt. Look at verse 6. When he likens it to a splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it. Pretty graphic stuff, isn't it? And he then confidently asserts that God is also against them. So surrender is their only option. Terms can be arranged, probably not very favorable terms, verses 8 and 9. And in a final blow, undermining any possible remnant of confidence in God, he declares, The Lord Himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Verse 10. Always puts you on your mettle when someone says to you, God has told me. Question it very carefully. And as we see, it was a lie. Whilst it was perfectly true that God had used Assyria to discipline his disobedient people, and you can read about that in chapter 10, God also made it perfectly clear at that time that this would be only for a limited period. And as if all this wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. The commander repeats his message in Hebrew in order to cause disaffection and rebellion against Hezekiah. We are not messing here, they are not messing with Jerusalem. This is serious. And, of course, the final apparently conclusive argument is that there will be no rescue. How can there be when none of the gods of the other conquered people have been able to stand against Assyria's advance? Chapter 36, verse 20, How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So note the mention of the enemy's apparent greater strength, verses 8 and 9. Note the flat denial of God's promises, verse 15. Note the appeal to their desire for material comforts and and sensual pleasure, verse 16. Cunning man, then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree, drink water from his own cistern, until I come and take you to a land a land like your own, a land of corn and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. It will be like the Mediterranean and the south of France. Each of you will have your own vineyard just behind your house. It will be warm and sunny, and you will be so happy if you give in to us. Just surrender. And note, verse 18, the way he disparages almighty God Almighty God, by comparing him with all the petty false gods of the region. Wow. What does it remind you of? Isn't it how Satan spoke to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Again, attempting to disparage God by making him out to be mean, forbidding them the pleasures of eating from any tree in the garden. God is mean. It's a lie. They appeal to their senses when Eve saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Why use new methods when the old ones are just as good? For God's people, there will always be opposition. There's a war on. That's what the Christian Institute events are about. Wake up. On the front of Westminster Abbey, are the statues of the 20th century martyrs. The 20th century martyrs in every continent. And that has been added to massively in the 21st. You see, Satan is implacably opposed to God's purposes. He will attempt to deceive us about God's power and also about God's goodness. God is mean God is weak don't bother and so the question comes to us with a great force as it did to Hezekiah on what are you basing this confidence of yours verse 4 on whom are you depending verse 5 are you and I relying for example on material wealth on a good job on a successful career to get us through life And if we say we are relying on God, will our faith in him withstand the voices we hear daily telling us that God is weak and powerless? You see, God's people will always face opposition. Secondly, as God's people, we need to know the power of prayer. We need to know the power of prayer. What is Hezekiah's reaction when he hears what the field commander has said? Look at chapter 37, verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and went into the temple of the Lord. He is, of course, tempted to be afraid, verse 6, but despite that, he goes straight to God. He puts on sackcloth as a sign of penitence and sent messengers to Isaiah with a message showing he knows the need for repentance, verse 3, this day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. I'm not sure that we repent enough about the state of our nation as we come to the general election. I don't see much weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're going to have a day of prayer, and I've forgotten the date, but we'll give it to you shortly. And I think that's one of the things we need to do, is to pray for this nation and for our leaders. We're not just drifting away from our foundations. We are sliding fast. To what? And he has God's honor in mind. Note that verse four, of chapter thirty-seven. That's what really disturbs Hezekiah. He's got God's honor in mind when he speaks of Sennacherib's ridiculing the living God. You and I tonight are in the presence of the living God. He speaks. He's alive. And the crisis, of course, doesn't that get end there? For the Assyrians hear that the Egyptians who have helped in the past are on the move. So Sennacherib sends a further message. He puts it in black and white. He sends a letter. And I don't know about you, but when it's in black and white, it's far more threatening because you can read it several times. And again, Hezekiah goes to God. Look at chapter 37, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, and he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord and said, Oh my goodness, we're in trouble. We are in serious trouble. What are are you going to do, Lord? And as he prays, he acknowledges, nevertheless, in spite of the fantastically dangerous, difficult situation he's in. He still acknowledges God's supreme power and authority. Verse 16, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. And he acknowledges the reality of the situation. The fact is the Assyrians have been victorious everywhere. And then he prays for deliverance. But again, note his overriding concern. Chapter 37 verse 20 so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Prayer is absolutely vital in the Christian life, not just in a crisis, but always. First, because when we pray, we acknowledge God's greatness and sovereign power. It puts whatever we're facing in its true perspective. Whatever it is, however it much it looms over us, God is bigger, God is greater. And second, because for reasons we cannot fully understand, God has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. We need to get to the place of praying as a first resort and not as a last resort. We need to understand that when we have prayed, we can leave everything safe in God's hands. The words of that hymn, they say this, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. My wife, Tricia, and I knew an elderly saint in Ireland who had contributed a great deal to God's work there financially through running a very successful business. And he told us once he was always slept well because each night before he went to sleep, he would consciously leave all his many projects and concerns in God's hands. Over to you, Lord, he would say. God's people need to know the power of prayer. Here's my third point. As his people, we can trust in God's sovereign power. We can trust in God's sovereign power. The answer to Hezekiah's prayer comes through Isaiah in a most remarkable prophecy, and we can read it it in the rest of chapter 37. First, God speaks against Sennacherib, verse 21. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, "'Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria.'" This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. "'The virgin daughter of Zion despises and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. "'Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed?' Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel. Who do you think you are? And God condemns the blasphemy and the insults of Sennacherib and his pride. And he goes through what Sennacherib thinks he's worth. He's got lots of chariots, verse 24. He's won a few battles, chapter 25. But God makes it clear that these victories have all been foreordained and permitted by him. Verse 26. God knows all about Sennacherib, verse 28, and his insolence, verse 29, and God is not to be mocked. Judgment is coming for Sennacherib, verse 29. And God passes his message on to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. Verses 33 to 35. He will not enter this city. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. Jerusalem will be saved, and a remnant from Judah will show a new spiritual fruitfulness, mirroring the fruitfulness of the land. Verses 31 and 32. And all this will come about at the hand of God the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And no sooner said than done. We read how it all ends in verses 36 to 38. Overnight all the Assyrians are killed by an angel of the Lord. Is it 185,000? It's a lot. Overnight. Sennacherib flees to Nineveh, where two